Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by World of Spas, Edmonton's number one hot tub and swim spa dealer. The ideal place to start your daily vacation on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. It is 134 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer, Derek Scott, Brendan Escott with you. David Staples coming up momentarily from the Cult of Hockey at 2 o'clock. Uh, both of the Oilers Radio play-by-play voices, Jack Michaels and Cam Moon, Reed Wilkins from the Oilers Radio Network, Brendan Escott and myself will have our Oilers Vegas review, our Oilers off-season plan. It's going to be very concise, and then our round three predictions as well. Everybody took a beating in round number two. Uh, we will tell you it's time for the Oilers Now Injury Report, brought to you all season long by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. Trent Brown, Jim Brown, the gang of James H. Brown, they're hurting too. They'd be devastated as well. The Edmonton Oilers losing in six to the Vegas Golden Knights. As we go to our Oilers Now headliner today for Will Hawk Beef Jerky, it's the best you've ever tasted. Search for Will Hawk, W-I-L-H-A-U-K today, and we welcome back to the show. I don't know if he's devastated, but we'll welcome back David Staples. Hi, David. How you doing? Hey, Bob. I'm good. How are you? Well, losing sucks. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, Ken Holland made a point of saying Vegas were better. They were better in the regular season, and they were better in the best-of-seven series. Um, did that surprise you that uh, Vegas ended up winning the series in six, David? Uh, yeah, I predicted the Oilers in six. I thought the Oilers were going to win the Cup. So, uh, But um, I liked Ken Holland not making any excuses for his team uh, because the Oilers were outplayed. Uh, in that series, especially at even strength, Jack Eichel on for 10 goals, 4-1 against at even strength. Um, and they in the final game, I think they were outcoached as well. And um, I really like the work that Jay Woodcroft has done in Edmonton. Um, and I liked how he said he's going to be going over everything with a fine-tooth comb this summer. But I, I think when he's looking back on game six, there were some pretty key mistakes made by the coach uh, in terms of line matching, especially. Um, I'm not going to criticize him for the Stuart Skinner decision, starting Skinner, because I, I, I thought that was the right call. Turned out maybe probably was the wrong call, but I, I did find his line matching a little bit uh, curious. Uh, all right. Well, uh, so, you know, I mean, obviously Stuart Skinner was a learning experience for him. I've referenced Grant Fuhrer. I'm not saying Stuart Skinner's be a Hall of Fame netminder like Grant Fuhrer, but we can both remember Grant Fuhrer's first uh, playoff start was against the L.A. Kings, and it didn't go well. He had a goals against average of five and a save percentage in the 850s. So it was ugly, and the Oilers were a team that had taken us on quite the run the year before and then, you know, fell flat on their faces with seven future Hall of Fame players. So that tells you something uh, when they lost that year to the L.A. Kings. So we'll move away from goaltending, though, since you agree with the decision to start Skinner. Um, what was most perplexing about the line matching? Well, um, you know, Leon Dreisaitl has been kind of an iffy defensive player for some time now. And, um, you know, he, he, he plays kind of an idiosyncratic defensive style where he's trying to pick off passes, and he's not always 
covering the defensive slot. He's not always on the right side of his man in the defensive zone. Nugent Hopkins and Yamamoto were struggling all playoffs long, including on defense. They just were break, they just were not able to bring their A game. So when you're looking for a, um, a group of players, a trio who are going to match up against the Eichel line, which was killing the Oilers, I just don't understand the decision. Like, I don't know why you would pick those three guys. I would put those against, you know, try to match them against Vegas's least uh, successful attacking line, not their top attacking line. And in the end, it didn't work out. And, and um, you know, I was as soon as I saw it, I, I just, I just was, I was befuddled. Um, it also seemed to take Connor McDavid out of the game. I mean, um, I think he just, he just played a little bit more than five minutes in the first period. And um, they were working so hard to get not have McDavid out there against the, I guess against the Carlson line um, that it, it took that player out of the game in the first period when you needed him more. You know, you, you'd want to play Connor McDavid about eight minutes in the first period, I think. Uh, so he's about two or three minutes short of that. And um, you know, the Drysdale line had two goals scored on them in the second period. Early in the second period, uh, the, there was defensive breakdowns by the entire unit. Most of the forwards and the defensemen out there just they 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 were in tough. There was also something that uh, Jonathan Marshall said after the um, after the win, Bob. He talked about how Edmonton plays man-on-man defense in the defensive zone, and Vegas knew how to attack that. And um, I think what we saw is the Oilers just got. Um, they were Vegas. I think had a strategy of pulling the defenseman uh, high out of the slot, uh, um, getting Nurse and CC moving towards the blue line, and then that would leave a forward defending the slot, well, which is not ideal. And because yeah. they keep their wingers, they keep their wingers on the points, so it's the center that's responsible for uh, supporting the defense. That's why some teams, David, we've talked about this before. Why did the NBA outlaw zone defense? Because it worked. There are coaches in hockey. Okay? <laughs> yes. Are, like, yes, it like, does work, doesn't it? Like Rob Dom, as an example, at the University of Alberta. And the argument always was you, the U of A can do that because they have the best players. And so they can play a modified zone or a man within a zone. Um and a lot of their, but one of the one of the, the things about zone uh, teams that play a, a specific style of zone is one defenseman is always left in front of the net no matter what. Yeah, so. I would have loved to see that because you know Darnell Nurse, Bob, like he, he got a lot of heat, but I think he's playing the system when he's when he's moving out of the defensive slot with the orders. And you know maybe maybe they have to rethink it and have it have a system where you where you just have you always have either Darnell Nurse or Cody Cece in the slot instead of Yamamoto or covering for Drysaddle or Drysaddle in the slot. Like it's just. It, it it seemed to be a problem that came up again and again in the playoffs. And listen, this team has a problem defending a lead. And until they figure that out, there's going to be problems. Well, I mean, it's incredible when you think about the fact that in all six of the Oilers' losses, they had leads in the game. It's painful. And it has to be really sobering for all the players and the coaches. And I mean, I thought Ken Holland was excellent today in his press conference talking about how devastated everybody was and the difficulty, how difficult it is to win the Stanley Cup. There's those two things that go hand in hand. It is certainly not easy. Vegas, um, I, I underestimated the Vegas team. I think based I on the regular season. If you listen to the show, I didn't. Now, I said Edmonton would win in six. What am I going to host? A show called Oilers now and say, <laughs> say the Oilers are going to lose the series? 
But I think you know the healthy amount of respect that I have for Vegas. I mean, I'll tell you right now, Seattle's a team that surprised me. So just just recapping, Edmonton had a two-goal lead in game one, lost 4-3. Okay. Yeah. The Oilers had a 2-1 lead in Los Angeles in game three. Uh, it was only brief. It was 18 seconds after McDavid scored his second power play goal in game three at Crypto.com Arena. And then they called dry settle for the... the uh, unsportsmanlike uh, after that goal and L.A. tied on the power play, but they had a lead in game two, or sorry, game th- so game one and game three, the Oilers lost to L.A. in overtime both games. Edmonton led both those games. Uh, in game one against Vegas, the Oilers had a one nothing lead. In game three at home, Fogel scored early to give them a one nothing lead. In game five in Vegas, the Oilers had uh, a one nothing and 2-1 lead. And in game six at home, the Oilers had a 2-1 lead over Vegas. So, yeah. all so six why games, can't they defend a lead? Yeah. Why can't, so one of the, you know, I would have liked to see, uh, I mean, the, the line of Ryan, McLeod, and Fogel was was outstanding in the playoffs. And so one of the, you know, one of the things I wonder if you, you know, if you're going to go power against power against cycle, you'd want Connor McDavid out there because McDavid, I think is, uh, has become when he wants to be an exceptional two way hockey player who will cover his own defensive slot. Um, but if you're not going to, if you don't want that, like why not go with the McLeod line against the Eichel line? And um, so I just, uh, you know, the coach wasn't asked that directly. I mean, it's a pretty pointed question for Jay Woodcroft, but I, it would be interesting to hear his thinking on that, um, why he decided to, to go well, with the drive side of the line. The reality of the situation is every coach knows this. When you lose, you get second-guessed. Yep. It, it comes with the territory. Like, we had people misinterpreting what I was saying on Monday's show about the goaltending. Okay. You know, Sean Burke is an elite goaltending coach, and I, I, I communicated to somebody in Vegas management the day they signed him, June 28th last year, and said, you know, that that could be big for you guys. Well, when you see all four of their goalies basically have career years, what does that tell you? You know, yeah, and, and and so yeah, it was June twenty eighth of twenty twenty two that they ended up getting Burke done, and that's a guy that's been regarded. I mean, he wants to work in management, but I look at his track record. He salvaged Mike Smith and Devin Dubnik's career. Carey Price, the best he ever played as a Montreal Canadian, was with Sean Burke, and they're on their organizational number four goalie right now, Aiden Hill, and he goalie he goalied Edmonton in the in the one game that a goalie stole was in game number uh, six in Edmonton. Like, the Oilers got 42 shots and couldn't find a way to beat them. So. Bob, you've been making a good point about Skinner, um, how he played just six games in a row in the regular season, and then 12 starts in a row in the playoffs. Because uh, in retrospect, you know, I was wrong about this, but he, he, people people were making the point. You know, the majority of the fans wanted to go with Campbell in the, in the final game. And the point that many of them were making is that Stuart Skinner looks tired and um you know that that notion like 12 games in a row starts um he is young he can he can handle a lot of heavy load but he did he was starting to wear down it looked like and he, he certainly wasn't sharp um in the vegas series and he seemed to get progressively less sharp as the playoffs went along as well so that's something else to think about i mean i i understand it though with campbell like i mean i just he just struggled all year long and although he looked okay in cameo roles um, in the playoffs, especially in his last one, I just felt that Skinner was the best choice in that game. Yeah, hundred. Well, and and you're entitled. People are entitled to have their opinions on this. I wonder whether or not, like in my mind, 
it should be an open competition next year between the two goaltenders. But based on what I saw this year, I wouldn't hesitate having both guys as a legitimate option to start games in the best of seven series. Because I don't know if you've got, with how challenging it is to travel in the West and the fact that you ultimately end up with overtime uh, games and that sort of thing. Like, yes, the Oilers need to do team defense, but who says you have to just go with one goalie in a playoff series? Why? Because it's easier. Well, that's our guy. I mean, you don't. And Campbell will, you know, he's on a, he's got four more years left on a deal that pays him handsomely. So the Oilers have got to, you know, I think he's, he's going to be thinking hard about the, the season and, and um, have really working hard at restructuring his game. And I expect Campbell Holland said it. He thinks Campbell's going to be better in the second year of his deal. I mean, how often do goalies just, just have a terrible year and then come back? I mean, look at in Florida, Bobrovsky, um, has been up and down in Florida. Well, he was up. I mean, Bobrovsky did the same thing for an entire series that Aiden Hill did in one game against Edmonton. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Jack Campbell can come back. And, um, you know, some people are saying already you hear talk about some people say buy the guy out. I mean, they're just, I just don't think that that's, they're, that's just would, would hammer the team. They're just getting out from salary cap hell um, under a few contracts, uh, Sekera and I think the Lucic deal, you know, those kinds of things are coming to end at Clefbaum, LTIR. So you don't want to enter that. And he does, he, he has been a good goalie. They signed him after he had five good years in a row in pro hockey. Jack Campbell did when the owners signed him. So, you know, he's a good candidate for a bounce back. So we'll, I think that's going to happen. And, and I think, yeah, there's going to be a really interesting battle for number one next year. And I think the owners are going to have decent goaltending next season. Yeah, well, uh, my expectation is they're 47 to 50 win team again. Um, where, what areas do they need to improve on, David? Uh, well, they brought in Ekholm, Bob. That solves a huge problem on defense. They have an interesting decision about, uh, you know, they have Philip Broberg who's ready to go. But it's it's really good to have seven defensemen on the other hand, too. Like, they could think about trading let's say a Cody Cece or a Brett Kulak, even if as Kulak was utterly outstanding in the playoffs. He was. He was terrific. He was but their he, best defenseman he, against the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. Good things happened when he was on the ice. He was. Now, you, you have to take into account that he's generally not playing against the toughest opposition like Nurse and Cece. But they have, three good, they have three good lines. Remember that. They, yeah, and so, but I agree. Kulak was really good. So, um, you know, the orders were lucky this year. They didn't have major injuries on defense. That could easily have been different. And then, you know, Broberg would get all the ice time that he needs. And so I'm not sure that they have, you know, it's a good idea to trade a defenseman. So I like the defensive group that they have. They're all uh, reasonably, they're, it's a good mix of veterans, young players. Evan Bouchard, you know, 31 minutes in the last game really stepped up. He's, he, I don't know if they have to make a move back there. And forward, it struck me that Vegas was, one of the things with Vegas was, I, I, I'm not exactly sure, but I haven't done the math, but I think they just seem like a bigger team at forward. And, um, you know, the owners have three smaller players at forward, Ryan, Yamamoto, and Nugent Hopkins. And... Uh, one of them excelled. Derek Ryan was the Oilers, probably you know maybe their best winger, um, other than if you count Drysaddle as a winger. Drysaddle was the best winger, but Ryan was outstanding. But um, I think they're going to want one more, one more big 
uh, guy on the wing who's a, who's a really strong two-way player who can forecheck. And I think they'll have that player probably is Dylan Holloway, who's waiting in the wings. Yeah, they also I, have Raphael Lavoie on the wings. Yeah, It's going to be an interesting year, Bob, because there's not, a, in some ways, they have such, they've built up under Shirelli and Holland such uh, strong um, prospects that um, they, they're ready, they're good to go with forward replacements. I mean, they have Holloway, they have Lavoie. Um, they, they could bring in another veteran, but, uh, you know, they have decisions to make on Janmark and um, Bukestad. I, I actually like Matthias Janmark quite a bit, and I think there's a bit of recency bias going against him. He blocked that shot, I think it was in the first game yes. against Vegas. Yep. And he, you know, he struggled after that. But he was a—he is their best forward penalty killer, I believe. And he's a solid. He's—he's uh, he's an outstanding checker. And um, I—I I wouldn't if he's brought back. That I, I'll be okay with that. It all comes down to I think the price tag for a lot of the the depth players. But um, it, it could be largely the same team that we see next year with with one or two changes. Um, the state it could possibly. be as few as that. I got one more for you because uh, you wrote about it. Uh, Dallas Akins is going to be on the show tomorrow. Uh, I, I believe you uh, you had you, you mentioned the fact that he said he was fine with the one game suspension to Alex Petrangelo. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to recall. Were you hard on Dallas when he was here? Well, in the end, I was like every like like everybody was. Everybody. But I, I mean, I, I thought he was. I thought he was a good signing when they hired him. How did you think he did? How much of the, we didn't get a chance to watch a lot of him? I know you watch those sort of things. How, I I heard pretty good reports about how he did on the panel. Uh, I thought he was. I thought he was really good and really very interesting. But listen, Bob. That suspension, you know, I, I kind of got why Peter Angelo did what he did what he did because the owners had really roughed him up that game, yeah. including a nasty but he hit. He should have been suspended for more than but one he game. Yeah, and 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 here's what surprised me: in city after city across North America and NHL cities, every single commentator was saying this guy deserves two, three, four, five games. Like it was unanimous, and the only person who who who, um, who said otherwise was Dallas Akins. And, um, you know, he is part of the Peterborough Mafia. With, I, with, I know, uh, and there's some that would say that they don't have any input on the decisions, and that's a call by perils. And there's others that say, no, they're still influencing. And uh, I know John Shannon would say they have less impact than ever before. But it is a it, – and because there didn't be – again, I was down in uh, – I, I didn't see it, so I, I and I couldn't find it on YouTube, but – didn't Bieksa have a little bit of fun at Dallas's expense as well with it? Yes, he was chiding uh, Aiken, suggesting um, they're not that the NHL front office wasn't hiring just then, so he didn't have to back them up in that moment. But here, here's why the call was so bad, Bob. It's not just an issue of fair play. Like fair play is, you know, fans in different cities will have their idea about what fair play is. But the fundamental job of the NHL is to, player safety. Is player safety is is yes. protecting players from reckless, dangerous hockey plays, reckless, dangerous attacks. They let down every single player in the NHL, including players on the Vegas Golden Knights, with that call. Because it's op- it, it, suddenly the message is you can get away with this kind of vicious, nasty, intent-to-injure attack and get a, a minor penalty, a very minor um, uh, one-game suspension. That's just not right, and that's, it's, it's irresponsible of NHL player safety to act in that way. Awesome stuff, David. Uh, how do people follow you? 
at the Cult of Hockey on Twitter, Bob. Super. All right. Thanks. Thanks a lot. That's David Staples. It's 152 in Edmonton. I'm going to bang off a couple texts when we return on Oilers now. 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Keeping your office running like a well-oiled power play. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad. Welcome back everybody. Bob Stoffer with you. It's 154 in Edmonton. Royal Pizza, pizza pass, and so much more. They're still making it great. Get their new Canadian Club pizza with ham, chicken, bacon, ranch, and fresh tomatoes. You can visit royalpizza.ca. Stop for recommendations, the Mediterranean chicken. Royal Pizza is Edmonton-owned and operated. All right. Uh, let's see. Haji has texted us on the Ashley Fine Floors text line. Bob, Darnell Nurse takes a lot of heat, especially in the playoffs, but I see the entire team's defense, Ekholm included, who makes similar players that fans regard as mistakes. None of us are in the dressing room, and thankfully none of us have to look Manson in the eyes. Is there not the potential that the Oilers coaches are asking the D to step up on certain plays, attack a gap when in certain positions, take a hit to try to uh, try and elevate a breakout uh play uh, opposed to off the glass or out, out of safe plays or even dropping their stomach a certain way at times, all plays in which fans are harshly judging Darnell Nurse. I can't envision a reality where a coach like Dave Manson wouldn't be correcting these errors unless he doesn't recognize some of them as errors. Well, I know killing penalties, there is a thought that a rangier defenseman can get on the ice and block passes out from the side of the net. No question about that. We'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. Matt says, Bob, I'd like to see Yamamoto traded and give Holloway a shot in the top six. It'll free up cap space to help get Bouchard done too. Can't wait for next season. And don't worry, I'll be listening in the dog days of summer. The only time that you read my text. That one comes to us uh, from Matt S. Again, you can text us at 780-496-0063. Bob, was there ever a release by the Department of Player Safety or the league regarding the justification of the suspension? There was. Yes, there was. Randy uh, says not only was the play malicious and reckless, it was premeditated. All you need to do is listen to what he said in his own defense. How does anybody get suspended or slashing if there was for only one game? Uh, the only way it's worse is if he chops the head and then gets a double. That one comes to us uh, from Randy, who says, Holy blank, this league is a garage league, in reference to the comments that Mario Lemieux once made. Again, you can text us at 780-496-0063. Don says on the Ashley Fine Flores text line, Jack Campbell will be number one next year. Skinner will have his sophomore jinx. There you go. That's their number, 780-496-0063. Keep it coming. When we come back, we will attempt uh, to give you some sage advice on the conference finals, and we'll uh, dive into what went wrong for the Edmonton Oilers and what needs to happen next. Cam Moon will join us, along with Reed Wilkins, Jack Michaels, Brennan Escott, myself, Bob Stoffer. But in the meantime, and in between time, up next, a global news weather traffic update with Randy Kilburn.